Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. This is Sam Salemi, and I'm happy to be here with our host, Steve Krupa. Hello, Steve. Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great, doing great. And we've got a, another interesting company uh, here. It's, it's, it's a telemedicine company, but it's not. It's, it's kind of taking a different approach. You spoke with uh, Mike Baird, the founder and CEO of Avizia, which is a, a spinoff yeah. from Cisco, which Mike will get into. But, but tell us a bit about the company and, uh, and why their telemedicine approach is a bit different than what we've uh, talked about before in the podcast. Well, yeah, I think I think telemedicine is a broad category. You know, we know about teledoc. We've, we've talked about them, and they've been, a, been an award winner from your conference. Um, and those companies are are evolving. But the telemedicine sort of just started with the whole idea that could I talk to a physician on the phone? Could I have a video conference call with a physician? You know, as a consumer. But when you start to begin to think about the, the whole range of possibilities in terms of how you can use mobile networks in order to affect. Uh, interactions and care interactions. You've got you know, different devices that you can plug into those networks that are diagnostic oriented. Then you've got basically your smart devices, your native devices, your phones, your iPads, etc. And the concept that you can begin to use that, you know, in hospitals or in and around the hospital environment, or as part of a hospital network that extends beyond the four walls of the facility to enable interactions between nurses and physicians, physicians and physicians and physicians and patients, now you're really starting to get into a whole new world of, uh, of, uh, moda- of diagnostic modalities. And that's really uh, what, uh, where, we, where I think telemedicine is heading, and that's the, the basis of this discussion, you know, the, the different types of things. And we also get into a really cool conversation about the, the essence of product management. I know. I was going to ask you about that. You were uh, you were yeah. really geeking out on that. Well, you know, in a good way. Thing. <laughs> no, I, you know, one of the things that I would tell you as an investor and also as sort of an operator is that there are some wonderful sort of uh, tools out there to uh, uh, to to build to to create the discipline necessary to build a product. Mm-hmm. Building a product is not an easy thing to do, particularly a product that does more than one or two things. Um, when you when you say, okay, I'm going to build the telemedicine product, you have to ask yourself, okay, where am I going to start, right? Because if you sat down and you just sort of whiteboarded it out, mm-hmm. you could come up with you know hundreds and fe- hundreds of features. And so we, before we got into his, got, got into the business, we we talked a little bit about product management. I thought that might be a valuable discussion for some of our listeners. Oh, for sure. No, it was it was geeky in a good way. As I said, I, I <laughs> you you kind of stopped everything. Like, hold on a second. Let's let's talk about this. So I think there are some really great takeaways from that discussion. Great. Well, let's just uh, let's get into it. This is uh, Mike Bear, the founder and CEO of Avizia. <laughs> Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Mike Baird, the CEO of Avizia. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Great to be on. Yeah, I'm glad you could join us. Um, uh, I'm very excited to hear about um, where you're going with your with your telemedicine business. I've been sort of researching it, and it sounds like you've got uh, a very u- unique perspective and approach there. But before we get into the company, um, it would be awesome if you could just you know tell us your story about how you ended up uh, in the healthcare business and, and give us, give me a little bit of insight as to what your inspiration was to start this company. 
Yeah, thanks. It's interesting. When I was in high school, I took a a class that was an intro to health careers and uh, figured out very quickly that blood and guts wasn't my thing and uh, went in the opposite direction of healthcare for two decades <laughs> right. uh, and spent most of my career deep in technology. I, I worked at uh, Dell in the dot-com days, uh, spent uh, a number of years at McKinsey and Company as a consultant uh, doing a lot of consumer-oriented and, and other technology pursuits. Uh, wanted to get back into uh, a technology company and joined a Norwegian uh, outfit called Tanberg that that did uh, video conferencing, amongst other things, that, that Cisco later acquired. And I got deeper and deeper into product management, into uh, R&D of, of various hardware and software products, and was having a fantastic time. And an opportunity came up, which is, I think, how most of us stumble into things. Sure. Uh, the, the passion for me is I, I have five kids. And so I interact with the healthcare system uh, on an above average basis. Uh, and I think <laughs> any you. of us that interact with healthcare in, in any way realize that it's not as seamless or perfect as we'd like it to be. And, you know, when we look at all the other technology innovations in the marketplace, most things get easier and easier to, to work with. And I think that was the driver, but the, the catalyst was, I was running a, a couple different teams and one of them was building some products that, that uh, was, was being acquired by lots of different healthcare systems. And I realized at this epiphany that we were sitting at a market inflection point with respect to telehealth. And, you know, any of us that have been in, you know, startups uh, and, and fast growth companies, you always talk about, wow, I wish I was at pick your company, Google or Apple or whatever it was. In, in those early years, before anyone knew that they were Apple or Google or Uber or whatever, uh, whatever, whatever it is, right? Because by now, you know, the fun's been had, the, the growth has been done, uh, they're on, their, they're on their, uh, their glide path. And, and I had this realization that, oh my gosh, I'm sitting at the, 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 the beginning of the supernova of, uh, of an explosion in, in healthcare innovation. And I happen to have a product that people like. I happen to be in an industry that everyone thinks is going to grow very, very fast for the next couple of years. And I would be absolutely stupid not to do something about it. And uh, so we uh, worked out a deal to spin off our, our, our team from Cisco and, ah. and found Avizia uh, as, a, as a, yeah, thank you. So I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I, I want to get into the company, but you, you said, um, some things about your background that I want to talk about a little bit because um, I don't think I get the opportunity to talk to someone that mentions product management background. And, and of course, you know, um, one of the, one of the cornerstones of all technology companies is really product management. So I'm wondering, do you have any, how do you, how do you do your product management or how did you do your product management and how are you doing it now? Are there tools that you use? How do you decide what to build? What's your what's your approach to that? I think people would be interested in knowing that. I, I mean, product management to me is the essence of any great technology company. The the challenge is, you know, if you contrast somewhere like Cisco or or Dell or uh, any any deep technology company, you've got armies of resources, uh, product managers and product marketers and developers and things of that nature. When you're a startup, you have you, right. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, and yet a lot of the same things apply, right? Uh, you have to be 
relentlessly focused on trade-offs because life is about trade-offs. If we thought that we could put everything into a product and make it free, it would be really easy, but that's not the case. And so, uh, you know, our focus really revolves around that. We have a limited amount of resources. We have identified customers and identified uh, needs, and we try and strike the fine balance between those uh, as well as, you know, variables like time, right? <laughs> because go to market right. is everything in startup sure. survival. And that ends up being lots of complicated debates and discussions and spreadsheets and whatever it may be that drives you to what a product is. You know, we use a lot of the same tools others use. We do a lot with Jira. We do a lot with Slack. Uh, uh, we do a lot of just simple Excel modeling around break-even and ROI and, and things of that nature. Uh-huh. Uh, but one of our values as a company is that uh, everything we do should be customer first. And customer first for us really means patient first, uh, because that's who our ultimate customer is. And so we start by thinking about how will this impact the patient and how can we help them? So that's one part of it. I think the second part that we're always, you will always struggle with in a startup is you have to get to revenue uh, or you will die in a vine. And so sure. one of our values is what we call approximately right is greater than accurately wrong, <laughs> <laughs> which is to say on some level, we could wait forever to get it perfect. But usually in a fast growing market, by the time you got it perfect, five or six years has elapsed and someone else has taken, uh, taken over. I think the BlackBerry was a perfect device by the time they got it uh, uh, where they wanted it. Best keyboard anyone had ever used, uh, you know. But by the point that they got it there, it didn't matter anymore because people were willing to make other trade-offs. Uh, I mean, they were so focused on having the world's greatest keyboard. And Apple figured out, well, if we do good enough text replacement, it's going to be okay. But I get a bunch of other features, yeah. and they got their lunch eaten. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we try to follow those kind of principles uh, in building products and, and getting things to market as fast as possible. Yeah, it reminds me of the famous Picasso quote where he said, you know, a masterpiece is never finished. It's just abandoned at some point. Right? <laughs> That's right. And then, and, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about this concept of, uh, of minimal viable product, right? If, um, if you're running an agile shop, you're like, what do we have to do to just sort of get things going? And I have to say when, you know, if you gave me a blank sheet of paper and said, you know, build, build a telemedicine product, right? The, <laughs> yeah. the, the number of features that I could write and, and capabilities I could write down, it would take, I could probably fill a notebook with, with what um, with what I think yeah. telemedicine should or should be and could be, right? And that's why yeah. I think you're like, wow, you know, we're at this sort of um, tipping point where it's going to become amazing. But when you first sat down to build your product, I mean, you had to come up with a with with a first set of features. So, so how did you decide what to build, and what did you decide to build first? So it's interesting. I love how you brought that up. They talk about the famous, and I don't remember who said it first, but it was something around the advent of the car. And, you know, if you ask people what they want, they would have said a faster horse, sure. right? Instead, we got the automobile. I think Henry Ford yet, gets credit for reality, that, but it could be anybody for all we know. That's right. <laughs> I think Steve Jobs always quotes Henry Ford in that yeah. regard. But it, it, was, uh, it was an important quote. And I, and I think about that a lot because in healthcare, in many respects, uh, revolutionary actually is really hard to pull off. And, in, and you have to do evolutionary. Uh, you have to have something to build off of. You have to, you know, the processes and systems and people and change management are not as fast as you'd like them to be. And so you have to have a bridge to the past to get to the future. 
And so for us, you know, we started with where we had revenue. You know, we had hardware products that customers liked and they used every day and they worked really well. If I were to start from scratch, I probably would envision something completely different. But when you have something that works and you have something that people are willing to buy as a startup who needs revenue, that's always a great place to start. Yeah. And so for us, we prioritize things that we knew were in use today but we designed them in such a way that they would evolve over time. Meaning we started embedding latent functionality into our products. Like uh, for example, uh, when we use some of our devices, think of the, in an emergency department, we'll have a, a cart that you wheel around. That's a FDA medical device and has wireless and has all these things. Well, we started embedding latent functionality for fleet monitoring. So I could tell if that battery was fully charged, if it had the right software, uh, et cetera. When we first built it, we didn't have the capabilities to, to monitor that. And most of our customers weren't actually using that. But a year, year and a half later, we were able to add that functionality and pull them into the future. Uh, we've spent a lot of time in you know, the second and third and now fourth year of our company building out our software platform, building out, uh, you know, we call it air traffic control, but mm-hmm. it's this notion of really driving the workflows in, a, in an institution. To be candid, the vast majority of hospitals aren't ready for that yet. They're still in pilot mode. And when you're in pilot mode, you don't really care about enterprise-grade technology. But we firmly believe that that's where the industry is going. And if we put that effort into this, the lessons that we're learning with the few innovative customers who are already going down that path will come in very handy for others. But we build it, again, with that bridge that everything that we put together will tie into your existing investments as best we can and help add extra functionality for the future. So I think in healthcare, that's a unique requirement. In technology, it's different. You're not afraid of blowing up old ways. Nobody cares if uh, Uber comes out and completely disrupts the entire taxi industry. It doesn't matter. Switching costs are extremely low. In healthcare, that's not the case, right? I'm not going to walk away from my PAC system. I'm not going to walk away from my EHR platform. I'm not going to walk away from, you know, uh, uh, my my guild (laughs) of physicians and the way that they do their work. Uh, And so it's very important, I think, in healthcare to have a foot in both camps, figuring out how to respect the past and where they've come from and building a, a bridge to the future. Yeah. So when, when the first thing that, you know, the first thing that I thought of about, and this, you've been thinking about this for a long time, but when, I thought, when we thought about te- telemedicine, right, it was, you know, you know could, I get a, could I get a doc, could I get a doctor on the phone, you know, to prescribe yeah. antibiotics or something like that? Or could I have a, uh, a Skype uh, physician visit, right? Where they could see me, yep. maybe maybe re- yep. replace home. And then when you go into sort of the the hospital environment, you know, can a nurse have a video call with a doctor who's remote about a patient that's right next to her or him, and and so on and so forth. So when you start to think about your approach to telemedicine, the beginning points of your product and the and and the sort of evolution of the of, of where it fits into the healthcare system. Where does it, where does it start and, and where have you gotten most of your traction at this point? Yeah, that's a great, great question. One of the things that I think differentiates us in the space is we're biting off complexity. Uh, you know, it's very easy to say, well, telehealth is, I, I just want to talk to my doctor on my cell phone and that'll be great. You know, uh, let's do a Skype on my cell phone and that will solve everything. Well, that's great. And it's not a bad place to start. 
But the reality of that is when we think of the healthcare system, <laughs> you right. know, the equivalent of checking into a, a CVS health and, and, and getting, you know, some amoxicillin really isn't the vast majority of healthcare. And at Avizia, our, our mantra, our mission is to make it so that any patient can talk to any provider in any place. So that, that's a very broad mission. And that means that, uh, we can't uh, we can't be too small, right? Uh, you know, I know startups in, in telehealth that just do texting, and startups that just do a narrow niche like you know behavioral health or uh, you know autism spectrum awareness or whatever it may be. We instead said we want to be an enterprise platform, and so what that means is any type of specialty, right? If that's behavioral health, if that's stroke, if that is a, a runny nose or a sore throat, we should be able to do that. If we say any place, well, now I've complicated this a lot. That means mom at home on her couch with an iPhone. It also means uh, doctor uh, on the run between multiple facilities. It also means emergency departments. Uh, and and when, you, when you throw in that complexity, it means uh, very different things for the product that you're trying to build and the way that you scale. And, and while I firmly believe that startups have to focus or fail, that's one of our focus points is how do we plug in to the key things that matter? How do we plug into the EHR? How do we pull data from the PAC system? Uh, how do we, you know, do the right uh, uh, web portal so a patient can access this from home in, in a reasonably simple way? And so that's really where our focus has come is to build uh, an enterprise platform that lets us do that. And I think while that's been really hard, it puts, it puts a very big step, as it were, in making a, a viable product. Mm-hmm. As you get there, you realize you're the only one that had the audacity to do that. And uh, it starts getting notice and attention, in particular from some of the early movers in the marketplace and those that have already gone past uh, the easy telehealth. You know, a lot of hospitals like to stop at easy. Uh, oh, we signed a contract with a third-party provider and you can now see a doctor for a sore throat. Well, that's great. But that actually wasn't particularly hard, and it actually doesn't really dramatically change the way we do things today. It's very disruptive to be able to have a patient in rural rural Virginia show up at a clinic and see a neurologist for stroke uh, or, uh, or, or someone to see an obstetrician for an ultrasound in a high-risk pregnancy. These are much harder activities. And uh, so we've kind of made that our niche is figuring out a way to cover the whole spectrum of, of healthcare services on, on our platform. Cool. I mean, a lot of times in, in startups, what happens is, is the product uh, sort of gets um, hijacked by the first set of customers, <laughs> right? Yeah. And what you find is, is that, you know, you build a, build a, a, a basic well, actually, here I'll go back and I'll sort of like use some, maybe something out of the Kano model or, or something like that where you're, you know you're in, coming into the market with something that's exciting for customers that ultimately becomes the basis of your product, the basic piece of your product. And then your first couple of customers sort of that buy into that are the ones that are coming to you and saying, well, can we build this feature? Can we build that feature? Can we do this? Um Give me a sense about how your product evolved from where it started to where it is today. Yeah. Did it? Did you run that path, or were you sort of keeping your customers at bay and saying, <laughs> "No, no, no, we're going to build these things, and you're yeah. going to love them when we're done"? 
I mean, I would love to say that we remain completely pure <laughs> on our product. <laughs> well, I know you have never done, done that. <laughs> but but the reality is, right? You you chase revenue, and and because that gives you survival, and survival lets you innovate, and innovation takes you to the next level. And so, but but I would describe it as uh, it's okay to have a few branches. It's not okay to have lots of twigs. And uh, and when we decide to make some of those, we never ever do it just for one customer, right? Uh, uh, we have, as part of the product management process, right, we have lots of these feedback sessions from our customers and from our sales reps and from our product managers who have been out, you know, talking to folks. And we'll put, you know, we'll put all these feature requests on the board. And in in, in a typical consulting fashion, because I came from McKinsey, imagine a two-by-two two matrix where you're looking at, you know, ease of implementation yep. <laughs> and financial benefit, right? Uh, and then, we go through and size each one of those, those dots to be, you know, uh, how big, uh, or how fast can we get this to, to market? And, uh, and what we find is there are clusters and if we can find a cluster, so it's not just one customer, it's three or four or five, then we know that we're headed in the right direction. Uh, because I, I think none of us, particularly in a new market, you're always walking to the edge of the light with your candlestick <laughs> and right. you can see, you can see a couple of feet in front of you and you keep moving that direction. You really can't see a thousand feet in front of you. You just don't know because the market doesn't know your customers don't know, right? They still think they want a faster horse. Right. Uh, and so, but if you can get three or four customers that want the same thing, if you can validate that requirement with others, then you take that instead of being a 360 degree field where I could go in any random direction you at least narrow it to where, you know, your field of view is about 10 degrees. <laughs> yep. uh, and now uh, I know I'm moving in the right direction. Do, do we zigzag a little bit? Yes, but it's not massive, uh, you know, from one extreme to the other. And that helps us uh, go in the right direction. I mean, when I look at the last six projects we did, uh, that we start at the beginning with an ROI and what we thought was going to happen. And you know what? Two of them probably weren't anywhere near the ROIs that we wanted, but four of them were. And I think that kind of describes about that balance. Uh, and we learn things from everything, but that balance of trying to keep the reins on a little bit. And yep, you may disappoint some customers, but in many respects in a market that's all new, they don't even know what they want. Mm -hmm. And, and it, cause I think anyone that's been in the business like this, as you have, and I have, will also remember a time where you did something for a customer. And as soon as you finished it, they said, Oh yeah, that's great. We, did we ask for that? I, I can't remember that. <laughs> and they, you know, that, that, that initial requirement that some guy thought was, you know, everything actually wasn't as important as you thought. And, and that's the most frustrating thing when you've used your few precious dollars on, on a feature and delayed other things and, and missed out on it. And so that, that's how we try to balance that, uh, that expectation. Yeah. Very good. That's a, that was a, that was a great conversation on that. I think, I think if people listen carefully, there'll be some some great tidbits there in product management. Of course, you know I've been doing this you know twenty years, so I go back when 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 software was really started getting built. We used water waterfall methodologies, and then XP came into place, <laughs> yep. and now most people are doing you know two week sprints and 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 showing sometimes showing customers what they've built so that they can <laughs> they can make sure they're on the right track, right? Exactly. So let's get into the product. T t tell me about your product. Give me a couple of use cases. Describe describe what you've built and what's out out in the market today, and how your customers are benefiting benefiting from it. Yeah, our product portfolio uh, ranges from uh, hardware devices 
that uh, can be used in different environments. So whenever there's a need for a specialized uh, endpoint, so again, I mentioned the emergency department, uh, we can do telehealth on uh, an iPad or an iPhone, no problem. But uh, an iPhone or an iPad doesn't actually work in an emergency department. It's not never charged. It walks away. Who does it belong to? <laughs> we manage software. Uh, so in an environment like that, we have these hardware devices, um, they're, they're class one registered FDA medical devices, beautiful carts with lots of inputs for various scopes and, and uh, diagnostic devices. Um, they're all set up to be fully washable and cleanable in, in that environment, and they're fantastic. Uh, and they don't walk away, and they have wireless and battery, and we can monitor them. Uh, so that's an example of some of our devices. We have big ones and small ones, you know, depending on uh, if it's a clinic or if it's a school, they might just have a little tabletop device, but that gives them a screen. You know, we, we also sell various uh, scopes and peripherals, you know, think digital stethoscopes or, um, you know, digital otoscopes or things of that nature. So that's the hardware world for us. But then we also leverage existing hardware. So if you have a workstation on wheels with a PC that you use in different uh, rooms, if you are a patient at home, we can use your laptop. We can use your phone. We can use your iPad uh, to connect. So that's an extension of our hardware platform, and that's where we tie back into our software. Our software is all about, as I said, air traffic control, the, the management of uh, a broad array of devices that, that ultimately is about aligning, you know, to make a telehealth encounter happen, you're lining up a patient with a specific use case, you know, think um, dermatology, with a specific doctor uh, who is credentialed for your state or region or whatever it may be. Sometimes you have to align a room for that consult if, if that patient needs to be in a room or other devices. And we have to align all those things in real time to make a successful consult happen. And so that's what our software does for us. Uh, it, it lets us have call calendars. So by different service lines in a hospital, we know who the priority one doc is for neurology, you know, at this moment in this hospital. Uh, so that if a telehealth consult comes in right now, we can fire off a secure text message to that doctor, pull them into uh, into a consult, let them have a virtual clipboard to look over patient data that we sucked out of the EHR uh, on their, their virtual clipboard. Uh, uh, our software will help manage that consult. So if this is a particular device, uh, being able to route that video call or audio call or text message, because we do all of the above for our patients, uh, so that a successful consult happens. Most of the time, that's a... Uh, um, uh, a, a two-way conversation, right. uh, but in many cases, it's also an, an asynchronous conversation where uh, it may happen in, in, in series where a patient submits something and a doctor reviews it later on and gets back to them or it gets handed off to another doctor. So that's the, the crux of our, of our software platform that then extends out to other apps, right? We have a, an application for doctors to do secure text messaging that's HIPAA compliant. We have an application for patients to use on their personal devices. Uh, we have various uh, software modules that let you do fleet monitoring, et cetera. Uh, and then we also provide a wide variety of services uh, that help hospitals get deeper in telehealth. That's maintenance services. That's fleet management and monitoring services. That's consulting services to help you set up a successful telemedicine program. And so the combination of those three, hardware, software, services, 
lets us have a truly end-to-end telehealth program. Uh, not every customer needs everything. Uh, we, we meet them where they are. If you're a small clinic, uh, you may only need a hardware device, and that's good enough for you to do some basic consults. But if you're a large IDN and you want to have a true telehealth platform that can touch every one of your facilities and every one of your docs, uh, you're going to need something a lot bigger than that. And, and that's where we think the market's going over time and where we focused our, uh, our development on our enterprise platform. That's great. So the sale point is at the physician or, or is at the physician, I guess, level or the physician organization <laughs> level, right? So you're selling, are you selling to doctors or are you selling to hospital and uh, physician practice administrators? Who's, who's your customer uh, in, in, in the sales process? If I had completely figured that out, I would be a multimillionaire at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I asked you. I was hoping you were going to tell me. Yeah, well, and, and to, the, to the extent that I have figured it out, I'm not going to share with my competitors who are all trying to figure it out. But, <laughs> but the reality uh, the, the, the reality is it's a little bit of everybody today because this is a new field, right? So, you know, we will sell to some payors, right, who set up, you know, telemedicine networks for expats that are overseas. In that example, we're selling to a payer. We sell to a lot of hospital um, uh, buyers like uh, IT departments, CIOs, uh, things of that nature. Increasingly, though, I think the key for us, particularly as we move upstream to enterprise deployments, is it's all about chief medical information officer. It's all about the chief strategy uh, officer, chief innovation officer, or whatever role that may be. And in our case, there is always a clinical leader as well. That's part of that discussion. Sure. So it, it may it may originate with the technical side, uh, but then you need to get clinical in, or it won't uh, it won't ever work. It may originate in the clinical side, you know, where uh, a passionate doctor has has a vision to change the way they deliver healthcare. But eventually, we got to get the the IT side uh, involved as well. So uh, we end up touching a wide variety of of key personnel within uh, within the hospital. And, and there are other use cases as well. It might be the HR department who's trying to figure out a way to, to provide uh, um, telehealth for their employees. So uh, it, it varies wildly because there isn't necessarily uh, a chief telehealth officer today uh, at, at the vast majority of hospitals. We're starting to see roles like that, someone that's in charge of that. Uh, but like anything in successful healthcare sales, it's going to require uh, key stakeholders from across the organization. Hey, everyone. Tom Salami here. Just a real quick break from this conversation with Mike Baird to remind you to sign up for the Breaking Health newsletter. We will send the uh, this podcast to your inbox each week along with our unique video content from our Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit and other venues. And you'll also get a, a cool write-up about the podcast, some some helpful links to sort of help amplify the great story that uh, that Steve Krupa helps create with this interview. So go to healthag.com, that's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com, and sign up for the Breaking Health newsletter. Now back to this conversation. So how do you structure your value proposition? When you think about it, are you increasing the revenue of the hospital? Are you reducing costs there in the hospital? Are you... Uh, improving clinical outcomes for the patients. I'm sure that a lot of yeah. those yeah. resonate. But when you're actually out talking to your customers, wh- where do they sort of land on, in terms of the, the various value propositions yeah. you guys uh, have? Hmm. 
you know, we think of ourselves as fulfilling the whole expanse of the triple aim, right? Yeah. We're increasing the scale, obviously. Sure. Uh, we're lowering costs, we'd like to think, and, uh, uh, and we're also improving the quality. Uh, and in fact, someone just told me there's a quadruple aim now, which is sort of improving the lives and the, uh, the focus of our healthcare professionals. So we can hit on all those values, but, but I really believe, for better or for worse, the customer the first line customer, you know, my, my end customer is the patient, but my first line customer is the hospital system. The easiest way is to show return on investment uh, by use of our services. Now, they measure that in different ways. For some, it's access and giving, uh, you know, patients access to healthcare they wouldn't get it otherwise. But, but, but somewhere along the line, it's also going to have to be that I either increase my revenues or decrease my costs. That's what will get hospitals to buy this in much bigger ways. And so we try very hard to align our message with that. And mm -hmm. like any new industry, it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem. Until people try it and try it big, you don't have an answer uh, on how well it works that you can then share with them to sell more. And so we go through that cycle uh, with, our, with our customers. Um, but uh, that's where we are seeing the greatest benefits is unlocking the efficiencies of a hospital, making it so that any one of your specialists can be leveraged throughout your network, uh, which, by the way, then improves patient satisfaction uh, and access uh, and, and, and the quality of the visit. Most of us would happily trade off the ability to see uh, a doctor in person to see them from the comfort of our own home in, in some cases, right? right? So that improves the quality as well. So we end up touching on lots of different values, but at its core, uh, hospitals are looking for efficiencies. Uh, that's what uh, that, that drives the most success. Yeah, and I will say there's a lot of rich content on your website about use cases and so forth. Um, and and anybody that uh, that goes there will see a lot of a lot of interesting information. So just um, we're sort of touching up against uh, the end of our time here. I wanted to, and I really really enjoying the discussion. I don't often get a chance to sort of probe on the product management side, and, and I really enjoy that um, that part of our discussion. But I'd also like to uh, probe a little bit on the the startup part of life. Um, how many employees do you have today? We're now at 85, 85 okay. to 90. Somewhere. So, you know, you're ramping up, right? You're ramping up that curve, but still, uh, still a cozy environment at 85, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. tell me about your culture. Tell me how you think about being, you know, there's one thing to be an entrepreneur. There's another thing to create an entrepreneurial organization. Um, what are some of your tips for, startup CEOs out there in terms of building a culture? So one of the things that I think different about me, you know, starting a company uh, at almost 40 years old when I started Vizia is I had lots of other experiences. You know, as yep. a McKinsey consultant, I was in and out of some of the best Fortune 500 companies in the country. And one thing that was completely apparent to me was that culture is a massive value driver. And, and, and you either end up with culture by default <laughs> right. or culture by design. And from the very beginning, we focused on culture by design, that we wanted to have very specific values in our organization. And that's probably the hardest thing to do when you're a startup. Because people think, oh, they think of culture as, oh, well, it's just a fun place to work and it's casual and, you know, we're living the dream and whatever. But it's actually a lot more than that. It's the type of people that you hire. It's their, you know, are these A players or B players? How, um, 
ambitious are they? How mission oriented are they? You know, for us being mission oriented, you know, around saving lives and healthcare is a really big deal. Uh, you know, the, 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 that passion drives our innovation. And so by starting with that as a, as a key priority uh, and, then, and then living that, we were able on the other end to end up with a fantastic culture. But what that means is when you're 15 people and you need a head of sales more than anything in the whole world, that you say no a lot. <laughs> uh, you might find the perfect person on paper and then you interview them and say, yeah, this person's not, they might be great. They may have a great track record of success, but we know they're not going to be what we want them to be. And when you are 10 people and that next 11th person is 10% of your culture, they have that capability to mess it up. In fact, even today, I still interview every single finalist for Avizia. And I do that because even today, that person is 1.2% of my culture, and that's big enough that they can mess it up, and sure. we don't want them to mess it up. And so we screen them. You know, Everyone that comes in goes through at least seven, eight, nine, ten interviews because we want to make sure that they're aligned with where we see the market and where we're trying to go. Uh, so that, that's an enormous bar for us, uh, but it's paid dividends uh, in the end. And so it, last year we added 44 people, but we also let 17 go because if they're not the right people, uh, we try pretty quickly to identify them and push them back out. Uh, and we treat them nicely in the process because that's part of our values as well. But we want to make sure that we have the best uh, and brightest because you just don't have resources to burn when you're a startup. One of the things that uh, I'm perhaps most proud of in 2016, we won uh, Modern Healthcare's award for best companies to work in healthcare. We were number 16 on the list. And this is a list that has, you know, Massachusetts General on it. Sure, sure. <laughs> that has, you know, some of, the, some of the biggest healthcare institutions in the country. And we were number 16 on that list. Uh, and I was flattered by that. And it's a reflection of the time and the effort uh, that we put in early on in the company that then starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy because people live your values, they drive those values. And while that was incredibly difficult, especially in the beginning, because in the beginning, you, uh, unless you're just a really, really good recruiter, you have to convince people to come to your company. Yeah. You know, you have to believe, believe me, this is going to be great. I know yeah. we're only 10 people and I know this isn't a nice office. And I know you can't see any product anywhere. And I know we don't have any customers, but trust me, it's going to be great. That's the part where it's hardest to, 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 to drive that and make sure you live by it. At the stage that we're at now, it's a little bit different. You know, when you can look and say, hey, you know, we did, you know, 20 million in revenue or whatever it is. Different story. People will trust you. You're a going concern. It's not a big deal. Um, but on the flip side, once you start to get that reputation, it's a thousand times easier for us to hire now. And it starts to become a virtuous cycle that drives your company upward. And so, so culture is everything to us. And, and we focus it on things like the customer first, as I talked about, around bringing passion and energy, around exceeding expectations. Uh, and really, you know, we have a concept that we call I am a Vizia. You know, we want people to make this their dream job. If there's something that you don't like, then tell us and let's figure out how to make it better. And that's led to lots of initiatives that, uh, that we enjoy today as, our, as a company. Very cool. I, I, I've always been the hardest position to hire for a sales in a startup. Yeah. It's tough. It, so that, when I talked about 17 people leaving last year, yeah. the vast majority of those were sales. And, yeah. and in particular, look, entrepreneurs, in some ways, we're all sales people. Um, but you, know, you, haven't, you haven't necessarily run big sales teams. You haven't recruited lots of salespeople. And this is usually a person that, even if they're marginally good, 
they're nice people. They're, they're easy to talk to. <laughs> they're extroverted, you yeah, know? Sure. And so you yeah, think, well, this, this guy's going to be great. I can see him doing it because usually we're not wired to be full-time salespeople. And so you see someone who's better than you and you think they're going to be good. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, and we find that to be very difficult in particular when, as you probed earlier, when you don't fully know your go-to-market, uh, yeah. which makes it really, really hard. And so I, I don't know that we've cracked the code on that, but we, we do lots of experiments. You know, we have three people trying to do it this way and five trying to do it this way and whatever it may be. And, and every year we try and learn something, what, what worked this year and what didn't work. And so this year let's invest two heads to try something a little bit different and, and see what we can learn from that. Uh, because you've got to try new things, even, even in a resource constrained environment. Hey Mike, it's been great to talk to you. I appreciate you taking this much time out of your day. I know, I know CEOs have a lot to do. Um, so let me just end on this on this question. Let 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 the listeners know how they can find out about uh, your company, whether you've got a Twitter or a blog or even a podcast or something. Is there is there any? What's the best way for people to to get information about what you do? Thank you, uh, and, and and a delight for me, Steve, as well. Uh, you can find more out about our company at avizia.com. That's A V I Z I A. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Avizia Health. And, you know, we love to engage uh, with anyone. Uh, this is a, uh, we like to think of ourselves as thought leaders in the marketplace and we're driving new solutions to market and, and we love to collaborate. So uh, feel free to look us up and drop us a line. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us today. We really, I really enjoyed uh, the conversation. Thank you, Steve. Have a wonderful day. And that's a wrap, folks. Mike Baird, thanks for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast with our great host, Steve Krupa. Steve Krupa, nice job once again. And thank you, podcast listeners, for joining us. Uh, do us a few favors, will you? Go to iTunes, give us a, a rating, leave a comment, let us know how we're doing. Feel free to tell your friends so you'll all have something to talk about uh, next time you get together. Let them know about the Breaking Health Podcast. Steve Cooper's killing it, and uh, more people should know it. So let them know about the Breaking Health Podcast. And, of course, feel free to email me. My email is tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health followed by the letters egy.com. Let us know who else we should talk to. Let us know what other topics we might want to hit upon. And uh, we'd love to have uh, more voices on the podcast. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us and tune in next week for another tale of innovation from the Breaking Health Podcast.